Welcome to Fringe Division. Hello and welcome to Fringe Division, spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe. I am Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 17, Bad Dreams. It was written and directed by Akiva Goldsman and aired on the 21st of April, 2009. Thank you. Akiva Goldsman's doing uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which, try as I might, I keep getting kind of excited for. Which one's that? Is that the is that the Captain Pike one? Captain Pike and Spock number one on the Enterprise. Right, okay. They were in season two of Discovery. Right. And they've done a couple of the short treks. I'm behind on Discovery. Discovery is really okay. <laughs> it's funny because uh, I was listening to another podcast which was talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And... The way fandom reacts to new releases now, they tend to like to go, Oh man, the new ones are shit, but the originals are classic! Mm-hmm. And totally forget that they spent the last 30 years slagging off Temple of Doom for being the crap one. You know, it's like, Oh no, man. Oh, new Star Trek's terrible, but the 90s ones were great. What, even Voyager? Ah, uh, shut up. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Voyager is the most watched Star Trek on Netflix. Fuck's sake. <laughs> they did a kick, uh, Kickstarter documentary for Deep Space Nine, and the same companies just decided to do one for Voyager, and it's now the most funded documentary in Kickstarter history. It's oh. like, fuck's sake, it's Voyager. What are they even going to say? They'll just get to the 45 minute mark and reset everything. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a parody of Fringe called Bangs. Oh my god. How long have you been waiting for that one, Martin? Uh, about ten minutes. Okay. Right, so Martin, what did you think of this episode of Fringe? Oh my god, it was so good. Right, well that's all we have time for. Do you care to elaborate? So, like, people assume you only have a Fringe podcast if you really love Fringe. They don't really think you're going to be indifferent to Fringe, but it's just a show that you and Jimmy both agree to tolerate. (laughs) (laughs) And I do wonder how many of these episodes I've started going, Fringe is rubbish! And uh, this one really grabbed me from the beginning. And I think it goes back to what I say, where you have this kind of TV show. Mm -hmm. It really benefits from your stories being about your characters. We had this discussion last week, but I don't think this show is rubbish, Martin. I don't think it's rubbish, but I think if anyone listened to our podcast and made a note of how many times I went, that one wasn't very good, if it would 
add up to one more than the times I was like, ooh, I like that one. Yeah, but I think we're allowed because it's season one. Yeah, but I do wonder how I got to season two. And I do know how I got to season two because I watched the pilot and then I didn't continue uh, more because of lack of ease of access than Mm -hmm. disinterest. But uh, went back and watched Fringe after being spoiled to the last shot of season one on a message board. Mm. So what did you think of this episode, Jimmy? I liked it. I remember more of this episode than I thought I would, um, because I do remember the opening scene and the women singing Nelly the Elephant. I remember very little of most of these episodes, if I'm honest, uh-huh. which, considering it was uh, yeah, a decade ago, I'm kind of cool with. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask, the head of the herd was calling. When was that the opening line to Nelly the Elephant? <laughs> you know, it's just... And I'm sorry if you have to, you know, pay... You know, royalties for me doing this, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But Nelly the Elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus. Off she went with a trumpy trump, trump, trump. That's a song, surely. I mean, I know it's not, but... Well, that's... She sings that, though. No, she keeps go- She keeps starting with the head of the herd was calling. Are you familiar with that interpretation? Well, that's part of the song. You'd think I'd remember, because I was a tiny child slightly more recently than you were. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> That's part of the song, Martin. When was the last time you sang it? I've never sang it. Because for me, it's a solid three decades. Oh my God, I'm so old. Death comes for us all. Yeah, I might, I might have sang it when I was a kid. but. And I've got to say, if your character is a mum singing to her toddler, you don't actually have to hire a really good singer. <laughs> she had such a nice voice. She did. Um, there was a punk group. Who had a hit with that song? Toy Dolls, they had a hit with the song. Punks do like being ironical. Yeah. It was annoying because ever since I watched this episode, I've been humming it and I've only just managed to get the animals going two by two out of my head after watching Die Hard 3 last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the punk rock band Toy Dolls did a cover of the song in 1982, which later released on the 1983 album Dig That Groove, Baby. Issued as a single, it reached number four in the UK charts in 1984 and number 97 in Australia. Oh, why, that's right. There was a TV show, an animated TV show called Nelly the Elephant, and Lulu sang the song for the, the theme tune to that. You're listening to Nelly the Elephant Division for all your Nelly the Elephant facts. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I liked this episode. I remembered, I remembered the Nelly the Elephant part and I remembered the people up on the, on the roof. And then one of them taking a swan dive and hitting the car. I remember that. Yeah, I liked it. It's a good episode. Th- this this is the fringe I remember, Martin. Yeah, it manages to be an interesting story of the week whilst building on the wider fringiverse, mm-hmm. which is uh, the real trick. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, shall we go through the plot? We shall. Olivia dreams that she pushes a woman in front of a subway train at Grand Central Terminal, but assumes it was just in her head. Right. They're making a lot of use of shooting in New York now. <laughs> this kind of looked a bit like an indie film. You think so? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was... Uh, I don't know if they're shooting on film stock at this point, mm-hmm. or what it was. There's a bit of grain or something, but it just kind of felt old school. Akiva Goldsman, he's going places. Yeah. Didn't he write Batman and Robin? Quite probably. Um, so, as I said last time, 
Oh, Jimmy, you are not blaming the writer. That is not cool. Blaming the writer for what? Batman, Batman and Robin. Well, yeah. The job is turning up and writing what you're told to write. It's not writing what your heart desires and taking the fall. Well, I'm not just blaming him. And Joel Schumacher actually took the blame for it anyway. So I, I've been to Grand Central Station, as I've said before. And it's, I mean, it is quite, you know, nice to look at when you're standing there looking up rather than looking down. But if this is the sort of conversation you're interested in, check out all the stations on YouTube. Right. Okay, cool. Can I finish? They, they, they go to all the stations. Yes. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Right. I need to f- just let me finish this one fucking thing, Martin. <laughs> Jim, I'm going to let you finish, but I just wanted to say Beyonce should have won. <laughs> right. My mum got a photo taken with uh, New York cops and Grand, Grand Central Station. There, that's all I wanted to say. There's a picture that exists of my mum and three American cops. And it will be in the show notes. <laughs> Did she ask if she could hold their gun? No. Did no. she ask if she could shoot it in the air was going, ah? No. Because this was after 9-11, Martin. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's a shame that we have to get back in topic or I'll tell the story about being at uh, Gatwick and seeing a little old lady go up to a uh, security guard with the biggest gun I've ever seen and ask him where the toilets were, which was just a very odd juxtaposition. Um, But I was disappointed he pointed and didn't indicate with the gun. (laughs) Okay. Right. It's it's um it's time for me to moan about subtitles, Martin, because the subtitles give different lyrics to what she's actually singing. It's the same song, but it's in the wrong order, which annoyed me. Right, so, back to the plot. I just assume there's one guy whose day job is writing subtitles and his night hobby is watching Fringe <laughs> and just <laughs> crying every time you bring it up, just like, no one understands. Yeah. Well, if the person who wrote those subtitles are, is listening to this podcast, Martin, all I can say is, thanks for listening. Yeah, no one else is. Yeah, no one else is. So, in the morning, however, the news reports that the woman killed herself with the train. Killed herself with the train. Okay. Um, Walter puts forth various theories such as astral projection. Peter thinks it was still just a dream. So what did you think of that Astrid astral projection part where Walter says astral and Astrid says, no, it's Astrid, and then he completes his sentence with projection? Well, ever since you pointed it out to me, I just feel bad every time they get her name wrong. I know. I know, exactly. And I was just like, oh, Walter, girl, you're getting a name wrong again. Yeah, at least they're pointing it out, you know what I mean? That it's that it's something that he does and they make a joke yes. about it. But yeah, the whole the whole bit with it being Olivia pushing her in front of the train was such a cool moment that really made you sit up and go, what? Mm-hmm. In, like, sometimes the uh, pre-titles aren't as weird as you hope they will be. Mm-hmm. And we pointed it out and this one really worked because you were sort of it was proper tense as well you know normally it's just a bit like yeah it's uh 
TV show. It will go weird and a bit, you know, creepy. But that was like, oh, God, they're going to hurt the baby. Don't hurt the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's a balloon, and you know, oh, the balloon's going to pop, and I don't like that. And uh, what's <laughs> Olivia doing there? Yeah, but I have a question about. I'll just bring it up just now. Is is Olivia seeing herself pushing the woman, or is that just for our benefit? I believe that's for our benefit. Yeah. So is Olivia seeing things uh, from the point of view of Nick Lane? Not exactly. Nick Lane is a reverse empath, like Councillor Troy, who's not annoying. Right. So he was feeling suicidal, and she picked up on that feeling and acted on it. And Olivia interprets that as her pushing her in front of a train. Right, okay. But I think what's supposed to have happened is that Nick Lane was just standing there. Right. But because he was feeling suicidal. But, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. It's just that when we see the woman, she doesn't look like she was gone suicidal. Well, we do see um, the CCTV footage of her... Just jumping, yeah. Yeah, not being pushed. Yeah, and it's different to... Yeah, it's different to what we see at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, because at the beginning... It looks as though we see her like actually reaching up for the balloon, but then mm. this one she just jumps. So thanks for clearing that up for me, Martin. I paid attention. You did. I'm fucking shocked. Every time they say Nick Lane, I hear Nathan Lane. I know. And then my PD officer escorts them to the crime scene, and Peter sees a red balloon floating and begins to believe her, as Olivia had described the balloon to him previously. It's a three to four hour drive from Boston to New York. That's a... Yeah. Right. Something to bear in mind when they uh, start gallivanting to and fro as the series progresses. Yeah. Olivia worries it will happen again, and though she attempts to ward off sleep, she next dreams that she helps a woman murder her husband at a restaurant. That's sort of jumping ahead a little. I just want to talk about Walter. I think Walter's really quite harsh in this episode. He believes that Olivia did it. Yeah. And he's quite sort of mean. (laughs) It's not not the Walter that we're used to. So there's this idea in Star Trek that Kirk, Spock and McCoy, bear with me, are the same character, not literally. And if you take Kirk to one extreme, you get Spock. And if you take him to the other extreme, you get McCoy. Mm-hmm. And Walter is like if you did if you took Mulder from the X Files and cranked him up to eleven. Someone's like, this weird thing happened, and he's like, of course it did. Let's take drugs. Olivia phones up Charlie and says there's been a murder. And <laughs> it's funny because you're Scottish. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, and I just thought of Taggart. <laughs> There's been a murder. Um, Taggart was a Scottish cop show, and there's been a murder. Was kind of a catchphrase. And if you ask a Scotsman said. to say it, you're technically Scottish racist. <laughs> yeah, we don't like it. Just let us say it in our own accord. You know, it's not as though we go up to people and go, "There's been a murder." I'm Scottish. But, yeah, 
I should start doing that, though. They interview the wife who tells them she became so convinced her husband was going to leave her that she became angry and stabbed him. The team posits that while no one is actually causing incidents, they are happening as Olivia has seen them. I have to say that Mouse Willis might be the weirdest thing in the show so far. What a weird name. a strange name. Yeah, um, during the conversation with Mouse, Peter says Agent Dunham, but the subtitles say, say Livia, not Olivia, they say Livia. Do you know so the reason the, the subtitles are different to what's being said out loud? It's because the subtitles says what's in their heart. It's, yeah, it is. Maybe the subtitles are the friends that we made along the way. <laughs> right. Well, they're not the friends you've made along the way because you just shout at them all the time. Who, me? Yeah. I shout at my friends all the time, yeah. Yeah, that's if true. My friends, if my friends are not doing what they're supposed to be fucking doing, <laughs> then yeah, I'll shout at my friends. I still love you though, Martin. I do it through love. I thought you were talking about the subtitles still. <laughs> okay. At the restaurant, the owner tells him a blonde man with a scar named Nick Lane was sitting in the same place as Olivia was in her dream and was also seen in the video surveillance from the first crime scene. Walter posits, there's that word again, they've used it twice. Walter posits that because she never sees him in her dreams, it was Lane, not Olivia, causing the people's deaths. Olivia and Peter interview doctors at St Jude's Mental Hospital, who tell them Lane was a voluntary resident, but left after the visit of a mysterious man. Ooh. Ooh. The doctor described him as hyper-emotive, meaning those near him adopt his emotions. Olivia and Peter soon learn that as a child, Lane was treated with the drug Cotexafan in drug trials and believes himself to be a recruit in the upcoming war between the two universes. Can I just say, if a doctor thinks that someone's hyper-emotive and that affects other people's emotions, they're not a very good doctor. <laughs> it sounds like they got their degree from sending in coupons on the back of a cereal box. Yeah, she probably did, actually. Um, Walter tells Olivia that she may have been in the same drug trials as Lane and that the bond they share stems from Walter and William Bell pairing up the children in the buddy system. This is like the second or third time we've heard about the trials because mm-hmm. Nina Sharp was like, oh, yeah, there was another one in Jacksonville. Nina who? Nina Sharp. Nina Sharp, who's that? What's the character called? <laughs> no, you're right, I'm just taking the piss because she's no on the fucking show. <laughs> you complain when she's in it too much that she's in it too much. No, I don't. Just have some consistency. If you've got a main cast member, if they're in the main credits, have them in your show. Otherwise, just make a recurring, not a regular. Right, uh, that scene in the hotel room was actually quite intense. All three of the leads were really good in, in that scene, I think. Yeah, that's one of those scenes where you're like, okay, this is this show doing what it does best and what you don't get on other shows. Mm-hmm. And they have they have a really nice character dynamic between Walter, Olivia and Peter, which is not entirely dissimilar from Kirk, Spock and McCoy, depending on whether or not that bit got cut out. <laughs> no, I'll keep that bad. Because... Uh, you know, sometimes Olivia listens to Walter too much, and sometimes mm. she could listen to him more. Yeah. But that dynamic of 
Do we listen to the crazy man who turns out to be right most of the time for illogical reasons or the voice of reason who is a part-time gangster is one of the main strengths of the show? Yeah, Peter's the voice of reason, but he's not always right. No. I don't. I mean, he's barely right. <laughs> but he's, at least he's saying it with, he's saying it because he cares. Because he really does care for Olivia. Not as much as he cares for her sister. Touché. What was I saying? Yeah, the bit that struck me the most in this scene was when Olivia shouts at Walter. Yeah. And then as soon as she shouts at Walter, Walter realises, fuck, this is serious. Walter uses this bond, putting Olivia under the effect of drugs, so she experiences Lane's emotions. There's always drugs in this show. (laughs) Yeah. Walter's just very happy just to give drugs to people or take them himself. It's like a 90s Brit Awards ceremony. Oh, topical. Not really. She sees Lane sleep with a stripper, who is then influenced to kill herself in a mirror of Lane's depressed thoughts. Afterwards, Olivia discovers where Lane lives. Right, so, this part at the strip club is basically just an excuse to have your attractive lead kiss another woman. We've come a long way from the pilot quick getting your knickknacks. <laughs> well, at least Olivia was fully dressed. Which is compensated with the stripper. Exactly. Who is one of those TV strippers that doesn't strip. No. I think she's just a dancer. I don't think she was an actual stripper. Yeah, and also I noticed that given the time that we see between Olivia having orgasmic feelings when she's um when Lane and the stripper are having sex, Lane doesn't last long. Why do you think he was so depressed? You know, it happens. While they explore his apartment, a suicidal Lane walks down a sidewalk, influencing others to mirror his emotions, so that they follow him to the top of a building. Because of her past in the trials, Walter believes Olivia won't be influenced by these suicidal thoughts, and she goes to encounter Lane alone. This was a cool, legit, creepy sequence where everyone's just following him. Mm-hmm. Although I'm also pretty sure it happened in a share video. <laughs> <laughs> it probably happened in many music videos, yeah. Where someone's just... Leading people down the street. Yeah. When Olivia is up on the roof, you can see a billboard for a movie. I think it's called Seventeen again. Yes. Um, Starring uh, Matthew Perry and Zach Efron. Mm-hmm. In a movie that uh, tries to tell us that Zach Efron is going to grow up to look like Matthew Perry. Or that Matthew Perry looked like Zac Efron when he was a teenager. People tell me as far as bad age-swapping movies go, it's actually better than you'd think if you like that kind of crap. And by people, I mean my wife. (laughs) And if you want a surprisingly fun age-swapping movie, check out Shazam! Yeah. While Olivia does not remember him, he remembers her, and the nickname he gave her, Olive. Olivia wounds him, breaking his mind control over the others, and he is placed in a medically induced long-term coma to control his emotions. But not before someone jumps, which is like, whoa, they went there? I know, exactly, exactly. I didn't think they were going to do that, actually. I mean, I knew it happened, but... I didn't think they'd do it and immediately cut to a punchline. I know, but there you go, they did. 
The episode ends with Walter watching a video of Olivia as a child, apparently taken while she was being administered Cotexafan. Walter's voice is heard on the tape, as is William Bell's. Both are trying to calm little Olivia while she sits, huddled amidst a debris-strewn room of equipment. It becomes clear Olivia has caused this chaos in Walter and Bell's lab, presumably with her Cortexafan-induced abilities. Dun-dun-dun! I was never quite sure about having Olivia been experimented on by Walter as a child and both her not remembering it and him never bringing it up. Well, the way they they do it in this episode is that Nick says they made us forget. Yeah. And Walter is clinically insane. Mm Mm-hmm. So... That's that explains that. I'm not that doesn't bother me too much. It doesn't pull me out of it. No, but I I was a bit like, hmm. First time I watched it. Yeah, Walter's still learning about Walter as well. Remember, we're learning about him, but so is he because there's loads of things in his life that he doesn't remember. Mm. So, Walter's memory is greatly affected by the necessity of the plot. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. I th- I don't know. I mean. It doesn't bother me because I know that's what Walter's like. Hmm. If they suddenly changed it, if it was like, if Walter had remembered everything all along, apart from that one tiny detail, then yeah, I'd be annoyed. So, right. Martin, do you have a a Walter? Oh, by the way, no, in fact, I've got one last question. Because the last scene we see Walter, but also we see Olivia, right? Olivia goes into her house. Um, where is Olivia's front door? On the house. Right. But Charlie chaps the door that she walks into to the living room. Huh. But, a few episodes ago, Peter goes to the house and chaps the front door. Front door. Did Charlie just walk into the house and then just chap the living room door? I think the FBI will have those skeleton keys. (laughs) But why chap the living room door? Why not chat the front door? He's a bit of a creepy bastard, old Charlie. Martin, do you have a Walter line of the week? I do hope Agent Dunham meant to do that. Yeah, that's that's mine as well. That's my Walter line of the week. It's probably the funniest thing he says in the entire episode. Because the rest of the things he says are not funny. Do you think there was an alternative take where he said it's raiding men? Hallelujah. Well, it would be if it was a man who fell. It was a woman who fell, Martin. Shut up, Jimmy. <laughs> Right, Martin, do we have any facts? Hit me with facts for this episode. This episode features the song Starstruck by Lady Gaga. Gaga! It's a Toast of London thing. Yes. <laughs> the Observer can be seen crossing the street near the building where the mass suicide is about to happen. Oh, can he? I didn't notice him walk right in front of the fucking camera. I'm here! <laughs> He may as well just have turned and waved. <laughs> <laughs> the building Nick Lane leads the followers to is the corner of Broadway and 20th Street in Manhattan. Oh. This episode marks the first time viewers get to hear the voice of William Bell. It does indeed. The cipher. What do the, the glyphs spell out this week? Belly, which is a reference to Astrid saying, should have gone with great taste, less filling. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. And not William Bell. And not the name that... um. Walter gives William Bell belly. Yeah. Smelly belly. wonder if we ever called him that. Because, you know, you would, wouldn't you? Mm. Right. So, 
Do we have anything else to say about this episode before we move on, Martin, before we leave? <laughs> Risa Pears is shown waiting for the 7 train on the shuttle platform at the Grand Central Terminal. The shuttle line only runs between GCT and Times Square, while the 7 trains travel eastward through Queens. It is impossible for the 7 or any train to pass through the shuttle area, so Risa Pears should have been waiting on the 7 train pa- platform two levels below, and then she wouldn't have died. Yeah, I, I hope someone got fired for that blunder. Yeah. Right, so next week's episode, Martin, is called Midnight. Yes. The French division is on the case when severely mutilated bodies drained of spinal cord fluid begin to pile up. It's going to be one of those ones, Martin. Hooray! <laughs> also, I can't record next week's episode, so I'll be substituted by special guest Zarban. Yeah, well, we're going to get... What? What? <laughs> All right, because it's going to be a gory one. Well, no, it just sounds dull. Oh, Martin! <laughs> it's the last episode before the two-part finale, Martin. Are we going to do a two-part finale? I think we'll just do one episode. Yeah. We'll just do the one episode. Ooh. We still have to do the lost episode, Martin. We We don't. We do! It's still part of it. Is it, though? It is. I think you find it was lost. It's still a fully fledged le- uh, feature length episode of Fringe. Not feature length, but you know, normal length episode of Fringe. On the DVD, it, it's on the season two DVD, and it's just called Unearthed. And we were like, "All oh, right, is that a feature or something?" We put it on, and we'd watched half of it before we realised that they weren't going to cut to interviews or anything. And then we just watched the rest, and we're like, "Oh, that was dull." So you don't want to cover it because it's dull. Yeah. But we still need to cover it. Do we though? We d- why not? Can't we just do the, do the good ones? Can't we just like have a list of like the essential fringe, and we could call it the essential fringe podcast? Well, it's a bit fucking late for that now. <laughs> We're nearly at the end of season one, Martin. Yeah, we can cut most of these ones. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're doing them all, Martin. Okay, I might get drunk for that one. Right, okay. That'd be quite funny, actually. So that's all we have time for. If you'd like to follow the podcast, it's at DropThePilotPod on Twitter. And I'm at the Faldor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> contact at shiftedbench.co.uk is the uh, email address to send us feedback. Shiftedbench.co.uk is the website where you find all the episodes of this and my other podcasts. Um, so... I don't even have to ask Martin because he said it already. Because he's a twat. So, thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. And I'm at the Fowler on Twitter. Oh, I fucking hate you, Martin. You love me. <laughs> <laughs>